1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Liber Cristo War College. Wednesday War College, Jesse Romero, Dr. Dan Schneider, two-man car, uh, hitting, the, hitting the streets of the United States on Soul Patrol, trying to get people uh, to fall in love with Jesus Christ and warning people about the bad guy. Dan, how are you, my friend? We're across the country right now, both of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the, uh, uh, I'm in the Midwest, the, the glorious Midwest. I flew into Pittsburgh, and I'm on right on the border of, I'm in West Virginia, uh, uh, we're in West Virginia doing a three-day uh, parish mission conference here, and um, I was able to hit Steubenville yesterday and see our, our alma mater, my current uh, part-time employer, and uh, it's a beautiful place, and this is God's country over here. This is this is beautiful country. This is conservative country over here. That's right. I'm in Marshville, Wisconsin, doing a parish mission tonight. Oh, it's cold up there. Yeah. I bet, no, but I came ready. I came with my uh, Donald Trump jacket, you know, big black jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I came I came ready. Uh, hey, Dan, a lot, lot to talk about. Uh, I want to have a sh- brief conversation with you about something that happened at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Hmm. Let me let me share here from uh, Dr. Mike Hickson. Uh Faithful Catholics urge bishops to stop fiducia supplicants in light of St. Patrick's Cathedral scandal. So what happened at St. Patrick's Cathedral? A blasphemous, sacrilegious drag queen funeral. An open letter to the bishops and cardinals argues that the mockeries of a sacrilegious funeral rite for a transgender activist at St. Patrick's Cathedral will come to each parish should they fail to stop the implementation of fiducia supplicants. It says... On February 15th, a scandalous Catholic funeral service took place at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. A transgender activist and prostitute by the name Cecilia Gentili, who is actually a man, was celebrated at the cathedral by hundreds of people dressed in scandalous clothing, praising him in loud voices, calling him the, quote, mother of all whores and calling them St. Cecilia, close quote. It was a mockery of God and of the Catholic Church. The cathedral later claimed it was not properly informed about who uh, about who Cecilia Gentili was, and that a massive prepar- uh, reparation was offered for the sacrilegious event that had been well planned. I'm glad that that that's been done. I know there's also a, there's a, a a petition out there asking over ten thousand people have signed it, asking Cardinal Dolan to exercise St. Patrick's Cathedral after the sacrilegious trans funeral says here, as it turned out, Father James Martin had been invited to the event and thus could have warned the cathedral. This event comes only two weeks after clergymen and scholars had issued on February 2nd a, a filial appeal to the bishops in the world asking them to oppose the document, a Vatican document, Fiducia Supplicans, since this permission of blessings for homosexual and other couples contradicts traditional Catholic teaching. Um, here's something interesting, Dan. Father Ripperger, two weeks ago, he packed the house. He was over there. He gave some spiritual warfare lectures. And I'll tell you, when I looked at how many people were at Father, he basically packed the cathedral. It reminded me, reminded me of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He would pack St. Patrick's Cathedral. 
another person that was another priest that that, that packs venues as well was the, the late Father Karapi. And and here Father Ripperger, in the in the in the footsteps of Archbishop Sheen and Karapi, packed Saint Cath- Patrick's Cathedral, gives some incredible teachings. And it didn't take long for the devil to re- to retaliate. Two weeks later, the devil says, uh-uh, I've got permission to be there, and I'm going to go back. Comments, Dan? Yeah, no, for sure. It's quite interesting. Um, you know, I was reading just a little Lexio on 1st Maccabees this week. Um, and, and if you if you read the first two or three chapters, um, where 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 the 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 Israelites said, "Let us go make an alliance with the Gentiles all around us, since they're separate. We are separated from them. Many evils have come to us, and so they started making pacts. They started thinking like Gentiles. They started doing Gentile things, and then suddenly the the, the Gentile king um, he sent messengers ordering them to they cannot follow the customs. They their religious customs, Holocaust sacrifices, and etc. And so this is what sparked the Maccabean revolt." Um, um, where where Maccabee said, you know, all you who are with with God come to me, and they follow me to the hills. And it says, and then they all carried on Israel's war joyfully. And so we we see these desecration. This is a desecration of a sacred space. And there's no, you know, the the, the demon mocks us. He mocks Catholicism completely. And the fact that it's Saint Cecilia, you know, Saint Cecilia, one of the early Roman saints, um, that if you see that picture of her lying on her side. Where she's kind of flashing the the Trinitarian gang signs, right? Mm, mm, Persons, yeah. one God, right? So she's flat. She dies professing the Christian faith. It was said that she was so beautiful. They sent they 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 went into her her home to 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 kill her. They sent a, they sent a soldier in to execute her. But she was so beautiful that he that he, he couldn't quite do it. Her mm. beauty was so so incredible that you'll see her. She, he cut her neck. But she bled slowly, and it took three days for her to die. Uh, so, one of the early Roman martyrs, very powerful in spiritual warfare. So, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, coincidence that this one uh, would claim that name uh, and, and and mockery of Catholicism. And then it's not just it's not just that they had a funeral mass because what what the progressives were trying to say is this is just a funeral mass. We have masses for sinners all the time. They they stormed the altar. They were on the altar, right? They were on the altars saying some of the most blasphemous things, holding up blasphemous signs. This was a complete and utter mockery of the holy sacrifice of the mass and the mass of and and the mass the requiem mass said for the for the dead. So this was certainly a case where Canon Law says that this mass should have. I'm not a canonist, but this was certainly seemed to me in my reading. This is a mass that could, that should have been denied and not celebrated in such a manner. If they truly are wanting a requiem mass for their soul, they wouldn't do the things that they did. This was a total mockery. And they're, and I think you're right. I think they just said, the demons are saying, hey, 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 we appreciate you sending Father Ripperger in here, but uh, this <laughs> happens to be our turf. You know, this is this is, this is is Hill 101. I mean, we take the hill and they come right back in and, and take it back. So this is one of those battlefields. And, this is, you know, New York City is the is really one of the hearts of America, at least on the East Coast, and, and good or bad. And so, uh, it, it's really sad to see, and uh, and and the faithful are rightly upset by this. Yep, uh, Catholic Vote they write the following. It says, after a group of LGBTQ activists used deception to hold a raucous funeral for a deceased trans activist at St. Patrick's Cathedral, New York City, Catholic Vote pledged to stand firm against anti-Catholicism. This is not the last you will hear. You will hear of this. Vowed Catholic Vote President Brian Birch. Good, good job, Brian. We got your back. 
He says, at what point do Catholics wake up and realize that if we can't stand up to this, it's only going to get worse? Brian Birch asks, there must be consequences or we will see the mockery and desecration of our church, churches expanding everywhere. Uh, it writes here, he writes, um, yeah, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City held a funeral service for an LGBTQ activist this week. And they said they kept the transgender identity of the deceased under wraps while planning the gathering with church administrators. Um, <clears throat> it says uh, the Daily Signal, Margaret Olahan posted on social media. Uh, Do Father Doherty joked at the beginning of the service. He said, quote, except on Easter Sundays, we don't really have a crowd that is this well turned out, to which the crowd of trans activists cheered and clapped. Uh, Catholic vote. They also posted several videos from the funeral on X, highlighting that the funeral was a mockery of the Christian faith. Anna St. Cecilia, who's honored in Roman Catholic Church as the patroness of chastity, uh, the mob staged a supposed funeral service for Cecilia Gentili, a man, transgender, an atheist, and a prostitute. During when they eulogized him, they called him, quote, this whore, this great whore, St. Cecilia, mother of all whores, close quote. Over a thousand mourners, several hundred of them were transgender, arrived in daring outfits, glittery miniskirts, halter tops, fishnet stockings, and at least one boa sewed from what appeared to be $100 bills. Uh, mask cards and a picture near the altar showed a, ha a haloed uh, Mr. Gentili, surrounded by the Spanish words for transvestite, whore in Spanish, which I don't want to say it right now, and, and blessed and mother above the text of Psalm 25. The Archdiocese of New York did not respond to the Times questions on whether the church had been aware of Mr. Gentili's background when it agreed to host her funeral. Yeah, what was missed too, uh, as you say, mockery, uh, Birch, uh, uh, Birch, Birch, right, Brian Birch, yeah. spot on. It's a total mockery. Um, one of the things that, that if you don't know Spanish, my Spanish is rudimentary, I can get by, but the, the, in, in the Spanish mass, it's, uh, you know, or it, um, it's very, you can hear the Latin in certain parts of the mass, certain masses, oh, Felix culpa, right, oh, Felix, oh, happy fault. And then in, in, in the eulogy, which is why uh, the eulogies are not supposed to be done on the altar, that's what the parish hall was for afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and he uses the the Spanish was O Felix, and then the Spanish word for whore. And so this was this was a complete mockery. That and and you know I just had a, a, a one of our listeners say, where was the priest, right? Why did no one storm the altar? You know, um, yeah, I agree. Where was the priest, and where was where was the where's the outrage? You know, and I appreciate the outrage now, but but for a priest to stand by being complicit with that. Um, as as Ricky Ricardo would say, Lisa, there'll be some explaining to do when when he comes before his, his own his own particular judgment. There'll Absolutely, explaining when Absolutely. you allow the garbage. But you know what? Parents are letting this garbage into their homes. Parents are letting the same garbage into their TVs, into their iPods, or their children. You know, um, we're Catholic families that are going to these these some of these concerts that we know that the, that some of these performers are no longer even remotely Christian. They're actually fighting for the other team. So we, we have to start cleaning up our acts as well. But in this particular case, uh, God have mercy on the priest that allowed this stuff. Amen. Wednesday War College. We'll be right back. We're going to be talking about the Pentecostal charismatic roots in Christianity. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll be right back.
Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. I want to talk, Dan, I want to talk about the origins of the Pentecostal movement, uh, which has come in and spilled into the charismatic movement. Here's my read of history. A lot of the Protestant denominations started going liberal, started going modernist. Uh, they started embracing, uh, you know, modernist theology. And so what ended up happening within Protestantism, a conservative branch called Pentecostalism, it emerged from waning liberal denominational Protestant churches. And the Pentecostals, one of the things I give them credit for is, again, they believe in miracles. They believe in demons and they believe in angels. They believe in deliverance. They believe in the power of God. And so the Pentecostal Protestants became more the more conservative branch of Protestantism because they believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. And they believed in, in, uh, in, in the Word of God as inspired. And that also ended up giving birth a couple of uh, decades later to the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Much good has come out of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, but some bad has come out of it as well. I'll tell you some of the good things that came out of it, Dan, because I was there early on, and I'll tell you some of the things that did for me uh, before I had to kind of pump the brakes and say, hold on, hold on. Not, every, not everything is good. Not all the fruit is good. The charismatic renewal made me a Bible junk me, junkie. I became what I tell people a Bible-believing Roman Catholic Christian as a result of the charismatic renewal. I ended up reading the Bible uh, through and through, buying Bible commentaries, immersing myself in, 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 in biblical, in, in biblical, having a biblical worldview. Charismatic renewal has also given me the, the deep understanding that there are angels and demons. This is not just something that's written in, in the words of Scripture. This is a lived reality, uh, and that life on earth is warfare, as it says in James chapter 7, verse 1 in the Dewey Reams Bible. Uh, and so th those are the good things. Also, the charismatic renewal uh, taught me about the importance of having a relationship with God, intimacy with God. And so those are some of the good things. But now I want to give some of the criticisms that I've seen. And there's a, this one video we'll play on the next segment. One of them is called uh, Damien Stain and Core at Lumen Christi, Christi Community. The other one's called Global Awakening, a community of believers empowered to awaken the world. And then I want to hear from you. Here's, here's my, a lot of the Pentecostal charismatic movements what they do, Dan, is they overemphasize the, the fact that God heals. I mean, that's a true statement. God does heal, but guess what? He doesn't heal everybody. <laughs> I got a bunch of medical problems, and uh, I've asked God to heal me. It ain't happening, okay? God has told me, guess what, Romero? Pick up your cross and follow me, like St. Paul's thorn on the side. And so our Lord doesn't heal everyone, and even those he did heal, like uh, his best friend uh, that he raised from the dead, Lazarus, he got sick and died again. Why? Because we were all made for another world. And, and and you know, this is where, also, again, the Catholic faith, we believe in faith and reason. Science tells us that all matter decomposes. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. All matter tends towards decomposition. That's the way God made things. And it reminds me of Genesis 3.19. Uh, when you receive your ashes, this is one of the, the prayers that we used to hear pre-1965. 
the, the priest would, would put the ashes on our forehead and he'd say, remember, man, you are dust and to dust you will return. Genesis 3.19. That's the second law of thermodynamics and action that all energy decays. And so, yeah, God does heal. To me, the perfect healing is going to be if you die in a state of mortal sin at death and you cross that doorway into eternity, into the presence of God. That's the perfect healing right there. The soul, the presence of God, and the body one day will catch up to the soul in a completely glorified state. But Dan, any comments? Again, I talked about the great things about the charismatic renewal and the Pentecostal movement, but also some of the things where I think uh, they've gone a bit too far. Yeah, no, I think I think you know you're you're, you're tracking um, what was the the, the that revival? What was it? The, the initial the, revival. The Toronto Blessing. Well, before that, the... The, the Azusa the, Revival in 1917. Azusa Street, Azusa Street right. Revival, yeah. That was right around the time of the... Uh, um, when, when ra you know, modernist, rationalist... Um, look, if all you have is the Bible, which Protestants have, then when the Bible gets attacked by modernism... Protestantism was is in a, was in a state of upheaval at this time, yeah. and so they they formed what they called the five fundamentals: yes. um, the 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 inspiration and errancy of Scripture. There was Schofield, Darby, some famous famous names in Protestantism at the time. Inspiration and errancy of Scripture: the deity of Jesus Christ, a virgin birth, substitutionary atonement work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the physical resurrection and bodily return. These are the five fundamentals, and out of the offshoot of that came this this Pentecostal revival movement in Protestantism that that um you know they they took the name Holy Roller for a reason because of the, the rolling around on the ground and that sort of thing. This is this is distinctly uh, imagine that type of liturgy versus the mass of the ages for you know what we, we've had. So um what we're seeing though is is when when this became into the Catholic Church, really in the 70s, there were two strains that came in. There was there was a strain that that was faithful to the magisterium and the teachings of the church. And then there was a strain that was, you know, I, there were in, in my own diocese, there was a, a charismatic prayer group that met at a parish and they actually cover all the statues with pillow sheets, uh, a bed, uh, yeah, uh, um, pillowcases to cover the statues so that because it's idol worship. And finally, they got a, a courageous wow. priest there that said, hey, you guys either do that or knock it off. And then, of course, once once confronted, he leaves the church and he starts his own church in a garage somewhere. So that's the danger is that it's it's it, 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 it's at its essence it flows as a response to modernism, but it brings in Protestant modernism into the Catholic Church. And here's how: in the, in the Catholic Church, we distinguish between the universal priesthood of the of the ordained, I mean, of the of the baptized, and the sacerdotal priesthood of the ordained. Two separate priesthoods. We both share in the priesthood of Christ. We've spent what 40, 50 years now after the Council trying to talk about the. The, the 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 springtime of the laity and and the and all this the the lay involvement this whole synod of synodality is trying to resurrect this type of theology and so what we see though we have to go back to basic principles and I'll even go back to the principles laid down in the Second Vatican Council and the collapse of the two priesthoods Second Vatican Council Lumen Gentium chapter 10 said that the two priesthoods differ in essence and in degree essence and degree and so, so that, that means they're not like, they're similar, they're not parallel, they're not the same, they're not equal, but different, they're not, they're not necessarily complementary in this form, maybe complementary with a different metaphor, uh, uh, using the mystical body metaphor, using a marriage metaphor, they're complementary, but not in essence and degree. Philosophically speaking, they're two different priesthoods, and they differ radically. A priest is a priest forever. When a priest's hands are anointed, 
if you've ever been present when a priest received the last rites, they, the, 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 the anointing priest, his brother priest, turns them downwards and they anoint the back of the hands because the front of those hands are anointed. They are a priest forever. We're not a married man forever. In heaven, we're members, you and I are members of the bride of Christ. Right. So so we're 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 all members of the mystical body of Christ. But the priest, that mark of priesthood lasts forever. They are priests forever. Number two is the difference in charism because of that anointing of hands. They are set to, they, they are set apart. The word sacred means set apart. And they're and a priest is set apart for sacred things. Uh, and and when the priest is initiated in, in I think I forget what chapter in Exodus, when when God instituted the priesthood, uh, the, the Greek and the Latin translations say Fill or the the, the Hebrew and uh, uh, Latin say fill their hands or anoint their hands, right? Anoint their hands uh, and then or fill their hands. It could, you could read it either way. So that filling, anointing, because they're going to hold sacred things. The priest's hands are sacred, and therefore all of his ontological being is ordered towards the sacred, towards liturgical. Everything he does, every action he commits is liturgical, sacred action at some level. And so the charism of the of the priest is sa the sacred towards the sacred things. The charism of the laity, Lumen Gentium 31, is secular in nature. So, you know, Bishop Barron recently uh, posted, a, a, a I think it was a, a, a blog, um, saying that people were complaining about all these problems are going on in the church. Why aren't why aren't the bishops doing something about it? Right. And he basically pointed to Lumen Gentium 31. Hey. The lay care is a secular nature. It's not up to, to the bishops to organize protests at Dodger Stadium. That's your, your job. That's my job. It's not up to the bishops to, to, you know, to, to, to go into the secular world and bring the gospel into the, into the courtroom, into the, into the political realm, into uh, the classroom. Um, that's our job as lady. We go to the church. We receive, we receive good formation good conscience formation, and we go into the world, good catechetical formation, we take the DDT, the devil-defeating theology, and we go into the world. That's the job of the laity. And we're collapsing those two. You know why? Because Protestants do. And we and, and, and so, yeah, there's some exciting things, and sometimes you can receive these different emotional outbursts. And so that becomes very attractive. But the problem is when we collapse those two priesthoods, that's to me is the, the, main, the main issue. And then the second one, we can talk about this on like, to hear your reaction on it, but the second point is the is the the emotionality is very dangerous. Nowhere in the Catholic tradition is our standing before God, uh, our emotions and how we feel any have any indication of our relationship with God, right? Any indication. Our relationship with God, we know objectively with certitude, not assurance, but certitude through the sacraments of the church by staying in a state of grace. That's our relationship. We please God. By being in a state of grace and serving him in word, thought, word, and deed. Then, what about it? Uh, one of the things that characterizes Pentecostal and charismatic prayer meetings and the movement in general is again, they place a lot of emphasis on these exciting prayer meetings, which, which often lead to a quest for a religious experience, such as God's talking to me. Or listen to my messages from the Lord. Okay, He's speaking to me. That that could be a danger. Uh, is uh, this this hyper emotionalism? Also, it, it the charismatic prayer meetings, the Pentecostal prayer meetings. To me, they also they do provide emotional and kind of like therapeutic comfort to for people's inner needs and their their woundedness, but. And the emotionalism that you see in a lot of those meetings, because I've seen them, they become like a dopamine rush. 
They need more next week, and they need more of it to sustain to sustain their charismatic spirituality. But the problem is, oftentimes a lot of this thing is just a lot of this is just ginned up. It's just pure emotionalism, and these false spiritualities. It leads to diluted selfishness and, and and theological error. I know where I came from over in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. All the Pentecostal storefronts in the west side of the San Fernando Valley are all ex-leaders of Catholic charismatic prayer groups. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that's kind of telling because it get in, you, you, there's an infusion. Again, there, there, there is a strain. I know uh, certain Catholic charismatic groups uh, living in community um, that are just solid faithful Catholics doing doing good works. I know I know uh, um, the Lord's Ranch down in, in, in Vado, New Mexico that go into Mexico and they feed the poor and they have a medical uh, uh, facility. Hold that thought, Dan. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Stick around. here to hold the line this is man this is a brave heart yeah this is the brave heart moment in catholic history right now dan it really is Uh, it really is uh finishing my last thought there's good groups out there um that are that are doing good work um but it seems to be there's a movement um because of the infiltration and and some of its basic roots are protestant in nature um under the guise of ecumenism which to me is false ecumenism it's some some of the leadership in the charismatic renewal are pulling uh, in a direction that is radically antithetical to sacramental uh, Roman Catholicism. Give me an example. Give me, some, give me some examples. One example would be would be for example the this this concept of impartation. What is that? Define impartation. It. Here's uh, 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 the Protestant definition of impartation, which we which which some are doing. Now in Catholic circles, very popular in Europe. I saw it. I saw it over there. It's very popular. Um, this is what it says: the essence of the principle of impartation is reproducing in others what what by God's grace we have sought to cultivate and develop within ourselves. So the ministry of impartation is the giving and receiving of spiritual gifts, blessings, healing, baptism in the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. It is the transference of these gifts from one man or woman of God to another, especially through the laying of hands. Uh, this is from Bayside Church. When we impart to others, we're not merely giving them knowledge or information. We're actually pouring ourselves into them. That's Again, that's a little new agey, if you really think about it. Uh, and this is the, the Catholic definition that's been kind of a, a, a adjusted. Um, the term impartation is used as a way of speaking about how grace of the Holy Spirit can be passed from one person to another. The grace may be a specific charism or manifestation of the Spirit or a fresh infilling of the Spirit or baptism in the Spirit. Those who have a particular anointing are often very the very people whom God uses as the instrument to impart that same anointing to others and the body of Christ. And so they'll point to, for example, um, um, the, 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 70 el- the 70 elders from Moses um, or Moses to Joshua. 
um, uh, as impartating the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not as in the Catholic tradition as the impartation of an office. Remember, the imposition of hands in the Old Testament and the New Testament was was used for impartation of office. It's 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 the conferral of an office and not necessarily spiritual gifts. And it's done like Elijah to Elisha, uh, Moses to Joshua. Uh, the priest laying hands, not laying an office on the victim, but laying his hands over the sacrificial victim, just like the priest does over the bread and wine. So there's symbolism in the imposition of the hands, and that that uh, the, the the idea of of conveying the Holy Spirit is a bit uh, a bit uh, uh, it's it's a bit wobbly, um, and it's not something that we do in, in Catholic circles. Um, so the concern is is that this is a, this is certainly a Protestant you know understanding of a reading of Scripture, right? Um, you know, um, this is this is from Diabolic Influence from Father Ripperger's book for priests, um, but it's basically Dominion. Uh, here's a couple of quotes: Many today, as well as the past, believe that the charismatic graces are the result of sanctity, and that's not that's not true. Many today believe that the charismatic graces are subject to merit. That is, one can offer up prayers, sufferings, and do good works in order to obtain them. There are those who believe that one simply has to open oneself up to the Spirit and God, and the Holy Spirit will act through an individual in relationship to the charismatic grace. Um, there's no harm in acting, he says, since God knows the individual well is well-intentioned in seeking the charismatic gifts. There's no, there's no danger in it. But here's what it says. This is Jordan Allman's spiritual theology. It would be temerious in the normal course of events uh, or to, to desire or to ask God for the graces dot, uh, date, the graces freely given or charisms. They're not necessarily for salvation nor for sanctification, and they require the direct intervention of God. For more precious is an act of love than a charismatic gift. In this author's experience, those who have an authentic charismatic graces often do not want them to be known by others and do not actually want the graces themselves since they involve suffering, undue, undue attention. This is very, very consistent with the tradition of the church. It, it, is that, and, and even Saint, uh, not Saint, uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, he said that when, when lay people lay their hands and raise their hands in a priestly gesture and, and lay their hands on other lay people. This is Father Gabriel Amorth, the very respected. He was not only a, a respected exorcist, but this was a very learned scholar and Mariologist. He says they are exalting themselves. And so these charismatic gifts, uh, th again, that is that is that was from Jordan Onman uh, in spiritual theology. One more quote, the St. Bonaventure. If in, in, uh, um, if you wish to know yourself better, you must secondly reflect to see if you if the in you, there thrives or has thrived a disordered desire, concupiscentia, for pleasure, curiosity, or vanity. Surely the disordered desire of curiosity uh, thrives in the servant of God when she desires to know the occult, when she yearns to see the beautiful, and when she wants to possess what is rare. Obviously, the disordered desire of vanity thrives in the spouse of Christ, the soul, when she seeks the favor of others, when she yearns for their praise and desires to be honored by them. The spouse of Christ must flee like poison, all these things, because they are roots, they, they have their roots in evil. And so um, this is a very dangerous uh, practice for various reasons. Theologically, uh, um, it's not sound, it's not scripturally sound, nor is it, nor is it based on anything in Catholic tradition, but it's very popular, especially in Europe. They're, they're imparting the gifts. So I want to, I want the gift of discernment. Okay, you have it, then come lay your hands on me. Uh, lots of warning flags. I want the gift of, of to drive out demons. Oh, you want that gift? 
come here. Let me lay hands on you. I want the gifts of tongues. I want the gifts. That's not how it works. Um, that's that's a bit presumptuous. You have to be very careful. Bonaventure says, be careful of the sin of presumption. Um, because, uh, be, Dan, you know, Dan, let me ask you a question. But yeah. importation, this this started with the Protestants first, right? And now it's, spilled, yeah, now it's spilled into the Catholics. Now the Catholic Charismatics in some quarters are yes. adopted are adopting this Protestant practice, correct? You're a learned man. You, you know, you, you've got not only your master's degree, you've done a lot of his study of history. You know scripture better than anybody I know. Uh, I've, I've spent a lot of money on education over the years. I've never seen or heard of this uh, in tradition whatsoever until the modern period. But I'm talking about the Correct. last few years. Correct. Uh, this is a new thing um, that, that, is, that started in Protestant Pentecostalism. And I, I would argue it's been uncritically accepted and we, we've just brought it into the Catholic Church without without applying some some real rigorous thought to it. Is this something that is consistent with that which the positive faith that which Christ handed over um, to the apostles and their successors? And I would answer, no, it's not. Yeah. And one of the problems that I see, Dan, with the with the Pentecostals, once again, is because everybody's a priest, uh, you know, low, uh, uppercase P, you know, uh, with a capital P. And so what happens is the, the Pentecostals, which spills into the Charismatics as well, they're always seeking mystical phenomena. They're always seeking spiritual consolation. And the, the danger with this type of spirituality is that the devil can imitate mystical phenomena, you know, according to the doctors of the church, like St. Teresa of Avila, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. John of the Cross. Uh, and and you'll also see. Uh, Many of the prayer meetings, the Pentecostal charismatic prayer meetings, they look, there, there's no order there. People are just kind of doing their own thing. I mean, I've actually seen people howling, people barking, people uncontrollably laughing on the floor, on the floor, on their back, you know, people speaking in tongues with no interpreter. But St. Paul talks about, even to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, he says, he says, quote, but everything must be done properly and in order. And, and that's, I have seen nothing but disorder in many of the groups that I have seen throughout the country. Yeah, what, what, this is a good quote um, from, from Father Amorth. He, he, um, when he said, he, he was consistent with um, 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 Jordan Allman's spiritual theology, which is, by the way, just a, a it's, amazing it's it's considered one of the seminal works on spiritual theology and um he he talks about the the asked about his relationship with the charismatic renewal he said you know he he obviously this was thriving at the time he had some charismatics on his team but he said that anyone who says that i am a charismatic is false that the true charismatic gifts they want to hide it because with that gift comes a tremendous cross tremendous cross Teresa of avila suffered tremendously even the gift in care and contemplation is a gift. There's three basic levels of prayer. Um, you've got you've got vocal prayer, mental prayer, and contemplation. And not everybody is called to contemplation. We're, we're all called to contemplation, but not very few actually get there. And, yeah. it, and it's a grind. It's a work. It's a cross. A transition from meditation to contemplation. Uh, any contemplative will tell you there's a cross there. Spiritual gifts are there, but there's a cross always always goes with them. There's suffering involved with that. Uh, and so this is why Father Moore said, anyone says, hey, look at me, I'm a charismatic. Father Gabriel Moore says, they're just exalting themselves. They're, they're, that's a, it's a false <laughs> gift. 
You have to be very, very careful because the enemy, by the way, not for nothing, we're dealing with a preternatural creature that is far superior. You know, I, I mentioned last night in the mission, you, we go into a prayer session, in an exorcism session. You think the enemy, you think the demon gives a gives a darn that I know a little Greek and my Latin is rusty and my Hebrew is so-so, you know, because the demon looks at me and goes, whatever. I speak 1,648 languages. Uh, I can speak ancient Sumerian. I speak languages that have been that have been uh, extinct for 3,000 years. So I'm not really impressed that you that you can work your way through Spanglish and you know a little biblical Greek. Good for you. I'm not impressed by that. We, we're dealing with a very, very, very subtle and brilliant enemy. And he can give false gifts and he can give false consolations and draw you down a rabbit hole. And you can tell where, where the holding point is, is the obstinacy. A true gift, um, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa would say, you have to be willing to walk away and give it back to God if it's if it's from God then it'll come back to you. So we just have to be very, 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 very careful on this particular topic. Yeah. Dan, I've heard Dr. Scott Hahn say the following. He says the charismatic renewal is like an eight-lane highway, seven lanes leading Catholics out of the church and one lane leading them back into the church. And that one lane is Franciscan University of Steubenville. I've heard him say that several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, um, I think I think he's he's he, he's he's watched the university uh, friend, which is the, you know, this is where I'm at right now. Um, he's watched this university transform uh, with it, with this space. We'll go back to that after. Hold this. that thought. Hold that thought. We'll be back. College, Mr. Engineer, I want you to put a, a quick one minute clip, one minute, 20 second about uh, it's called Global Awakening. It just goes to basically show you uh, that the charismatic rule, they all they focus on is healing. I want you to just to watch this clip and I want to make some comments on it. Go ahead. Jesus said, if we have the tiniest grain of faith, we can see mountains move. And he said over and over again in the Gospels, things like, go, your faith has saved you, or go, your faith has healed you. We call this expectant faith, or the charism of faith. And it's our experience that this charism has a profound impact on the fruitfulness of all the other charisms and ministries. In our next conference, Expectant Faith, we're going to explore the charism of faith. We're going to look at what is it, how do we grow in it, how do we apply the charism of faith to various areas of our life and ministry? This will be an online conference on the 23rd to the 24th of February 2024. We're going to have prophetic ministry throughout the conference and we're going to end the event with a miracle healing service. There will also be translation into German and Romanian. So join me, Drew Farber, Father Pat Collins, Nicholas Carlson, and John Stain, as we help you to grow in the charism of faith. We'd love to see you there. God bless. Dan, here's the problem I oftentimes, with, with this overemphasis on, you know, faith brings healing, is that not everybody gets healed. There are some people that have medical problems that they're going to take to the grave. And again, I think probably the biggest flaw 
what I see with the Pentecostal and charismatic renewal is there's no discussion on redemptive suffering. And most of the New Testament calls us to pick up our cross and enter into a life of suffering. So having said that, Dan, I want to move on to another topic. And I want you to just share with us about yeah, the imposition of hands and, and, and priest exorcism. Yeah. Before that, I, let's 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 hover first second over redemptive suffering. This is very critical. Uh, Pius the, um, 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 Pope Pius X that gave us uh, um, um, uh, uh, really a, a treatise on modernism, he said that the last generation is going to have to, will be battled against the, the errors of Protestantism. This generation will have to battle against modernism. If you look at modernism, if you look at it, and his, he's got an encyclical on the 50th anniversary of the definition of the, doc, of the, the, the Immaculate Conception. Um, so he's writing in the early 1900s. He, he said there's several marks of the plague, he calls it, the plague of modernism. And one of those marks is the redemptive value, the, the, a rejection of the redemptive value of suffering. So it's a redempt, rede, rejection of the authority structure, whether both, 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 both by natural law and, and ecclesial law, a rejection of the, 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 uh, the impact of the fall on the human condition. Right. This is this is modernism that we we just all we need to do is 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 create the perfect society. You know, we don't we don't really we, we underestimate or we reject completely the effect of the fall on the human condition. Let's face it. If, if God pulls his grace back from you and me or anyone today, we would do things that would make Jeffrey Dahmer blush that his yeah. grace, uh, his grace is what protects us. And so a rejection of the effect of the fall, uh, a rejection of the redemptive value of suffering. A, reje a, re uh, a rejection of the authority, uh, uh, of, uh, the need for a redeemer and a redeeming church. And this is so so his his solution is Mary is the Virgin Mary is the destroyer of heresies, the destroyer of, of all heresies. And, and this is why we need to go back and return to the ancient view of understanding of the Holy Virgin Mary. But it's a rejection of suffering and it's precisely in suffering and our participation. That's what unites these two priesthoods, Jesse. This is what reunites the sacerdotal priesthood and our priesthood. It's sacrifice. The priesthood is ordered to the universal or the, the, the holy sacrifice of the mass. And this is why in the in the traditional mass, there is not just, a, it's not a communion rail, it's an altar rail. Because this is where the priest, con he consumes the sacrifice and completes the sacrifice at the consummation. We, cons we complete our sacrifice. We place all of our sufferings works, uh, uh, struggles, everything on the altar in union with that sacrifice of the priest in persona Christi offered to God, then we kneel and we can consummate our sacrifice on the, on the, uh, at the altar rail. This is what joins the two priesthood. And so if we reject in a modernist Protestant way, we reject suffering and you say, I have, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's why you're not healed. This is, this is an error. Yeah. Some people do receive miraculous, he miraculous healings. I'm not discounting that. That's up completely up to God, but it's through suffering. Otherwise, the lives of the saints, uh, are, what did they, what, you know, the suffering they endured, the martyrs, Edith Stein, um, you know, what, otherwise, what do we, what's the whole theology of suffering and the need for redemptive co-redemption? This is the difference between us and Protestants, that, that Jesus said, it is finished. St. Paul says, I make up in my body what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ's body, which is the church. So who's right? Who's right? How could Paul be saying that to you? Paul says to you is committed not only to believe, but to suffer with him. If you wish to be in my disciple, Jesus says, take up your cross, pick up, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Is it not written the Messiah had to suffer? So Christ 
when he dies on the cross, objectively acquires the graces of salvation, but he leaves his sight open. And so St. Paul says, in my suffering, in my body, I make up what's lacking. What's lacking? Our participation in the subjective distribution of those graces. Sometimes God heals, but the greatest and ultimate miraculous healings are healings of soul. I know I know people that have that have had miraculous healings at charismatic. I know one individual just passed away. He had a miraculous healing as a teenager. Miraculous healing at a, at, a, at a, you know like visibly his leg was healed of a of a of a wound and everyone saw it. He drifts into. Uh, he leaves the church over time and abandons the Catholic faith for most of his life. At the end of his life, he comes back into the Catholic faith and he dies in a state of grace. The greater miracle, the greater miracle wasn't the visible one that everybody liked because they saw this physical miracle take place. The greater miracle is the silent miracle that took place when God moved into his life, healed his soul, brought him back into communion in, with in him, in, in, brought him back into communion with the father and then took him to himself at the precise moment that those movements of grace are greater miracles than the physical the physical are great when they happen but why was this man born blind was it him or his father who sinned jesus says no so that god may be glorified in him and in bearing this cross god is glorified god is glorified dad can you talk a little bit about a couple of minutes left about the imposition of hands uh and and priest exorcists who basically say that, no, that's not something that lay people should be doing. Yeah, yeah, I got a list here because I've, I've heard people say, well, um, you know, you know, uh, a, 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 academic people are saying this or that, okay. Um, but here's what Father Moore says about the gifts. It's, um, be, on, be, a, be on guard against false charismatics. There's many of them. He said, when a, when, a, when a sensitive or person of prayer is truly, they are truly humble, they remain hidden. These are positive signs. But if a person says, I'm charismatic, then he has no charism, he says. And <laughs> any, every, any charismatic gift, he says, should be submitted to the authority of the local bishop as per Lumen Gentium 12, as Vatican II. But, but Father Ripper, of course, uh, advises against laying hands. Father Amorth as well. But other modern priests, uh, exorcists, not just you know, priests. And not just trad priests, but 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 priests from from various spectrums, but all have experience working with the diabolic. Uh, Father Winston Cabading, chief exorcist of the Philippines. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, uh, D.C. Monsignor Charles Pope, D.C. Father Vincent Lampert, uh, Father uh, uh, Father Dan Rehill. Um, these are some just prominent names, plus a host of others that are really quiet about it. Um, these are these are all experienced exorcist priests, educated. There's multiple PhDs in that group. There's multiple degrees. There's multiple ecclesial degrees. Father Ripperger alone has six ecclesial uh, uh, combined six ecclesial and post uh, uh, um, postgraduate degrees. Um, so uh, so he, he you know Father uh, Rossetti, Charles Pope, Monsignor. I mean Monsignor Rossetti and Pope. These are educated men, and they're experienced in working with the diabolic. So they're cautioning against this. For for the for various for many reasons, one of which to protect the laity from retaliation. Dan, let me ask you a question. We got about two minutes left. Um, I sniffed out holy laughter years ago when it started coming out. It was introduced by the Protestants. It kind of spilled into the Catholic charismatic renewal. I knew this howling and barking like a dog. Uh, I always sensed that there was either uh, people were just you know psychologically manipulated to do this just to, you know, just display to other people that they have these charismatic gifts, or who knows, it could even be diabolical. I'll tell you why, because uh, rolling on the floor, and I've seen it, laughing, 
and uh, howling and barking like a dog, sometimes even on all fours, that doesn't look to me like what St. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.23 when he gives us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. He says one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. When I, when I saw people laughing uncontrollably at charismatic events and barking and howling like a dog and rolling on the floor, that to me wasn't manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit self-control. In fact, that was uh, was pure confusion. And we know that the Bible also says that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Uh, uh, your comments on holy laughter, if you've ever seen it. You know, I've never really seen it. I've heard about it. I've heard others talk about this revival movement in Canada. Uh, um, you and I shared a few articles about it. It's, again, it just smacks odd um, to me. It's not something... Again, I'm a patristic. I'm a, I'm a scripture scholar and an early patristic scholar, and I, I just don't see um, the early church uh, being filled. When they're saying they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, they're talking about the apostles being filled to go out. You know, in the Acts of the Apostles, by the way, in the, in the, in the book of Luke, you have, the word, you have the word disciple, but the word disciple, Jesus says, go make disciples. And after that, the word the word for disciples is not used in the Acts of the Apostles, because now the apostles go out, and their job is to evangelize, to continue the works and deed, the words and deeds of Jesus Christ to bring the gospel. You just don't see this in the New Testament. You don't see this in any any idea of holy laughter and rolling around on the ground and barking like a dog. It just it, it, I, I, I you don't see these this any evidence of this in the early church or the tradition of the church. So I, I just don't think it's something that we should again uncritically just accept and take into the Roman Catholic. Then I think also something important for the audience is that people can't base their Christianity on feelings because feelings are not the measure of reality. And, and emotions cannot sustain a Christian. There's a this this feeling-based Christianity, it may be sincere, but it, it leads to burnout. You're not gonna you, you, you can't go from one week to another just getting that dopamine rush under the guise of Christianity. That's, Christianity is not about a dopamine rush. Christianity is about entering into union with God. And oftentimes that requires sacred silence. Amen. There it is. That's a wrap. Two-man car, we're out. D-O-W, end of watch. Dr. Dan Schneider, Jess Romero, out there preaching the gospel in different parish missions. We'll see you next time, same Christ time, same Christ channel. Rich, who do we got up next? Bishop Strickland up next, America's Bishop. All right. We are out.